Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Rob Liefeld and this is Rob Observations. Welcome back. Thanks for uh, hanging out with me today. Thanks for always hanging out with me. We talk comics, pop culture, movies, TV, toys, all of it. Uh, I have been fortunate enough to have been in the comic biz uh, 34 years strong. You might have heard of some of the comics and characters I've done. X-Force, Deadpool, Cable, Youngblood, uh, Domino, Shatterstar, The New Mutants, Hawk and Dove. Currently, I am doing uh, Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe. It's called Snake Eyes Dead Game. Uh, two issues are out. They're so much fun. This is a passion of mine. It's, it's part of what uh, started me on this path is my love of toys and then comics and then all of it. And here we are. So picking up where we last left off. We will discuss today a little bit more about comic book movies, just to wrap up kind of what was started in the last um, episode, our last segment, and then full steam into this crazy DC Comics uh, detour that happened prior to Image Comics. Okay, so we're going to cover a lot of ground today, but I am going to first start off by saying, as I am recording this, we are just less than a day out of the amazing uh, Eddie Van Halen passing away, and I would be remiss if I did not uh, give a huge shout out to Eddie Van Halen and all that he contributed to all of our collective lives. Uh, the music of my youth is is what I keep saying. Uh, when I was in junior high, Van Halen came out with their first album. My freshman year, their third album, I think, Diver Down, maybe their fourth came out. I was a junior in high school when 1984 came out in Jump, Panama, Hot for Teacher. That is the... Um, order that those uh, songs were released in and from January till till the following fall they just dominated and were as big as they ever were obviously David Lee Roth left the band to pursue his own uh, uh, solo career and they did not skip a beat Eddie Van Halen hooks up with Sammy Hagar we called it Van Hagar and uh, they crushed it with 5150 OU812 all of it uh, just some of the best rock and roll ever. And I'm going to tell you, when I heard about Eddie Van Halen passing, I bawled in a way that I have not over anyone I did not know in my entire life. Uh, when George Michaels died, George Michael died a couple of Christmases back. It was a gut punch. Um, he, that, that is a, a big, big act of my high school, my, my teenage years. And obviously, um, you know, his, his song is careless whispers, a big part of the Deadpool movie. And, uh, and, and, you know, David Bowie in recent years, Tom Petty was a really hard one, but I kept wondering why is it that I am so struck by Eddie Van Halen and, 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 uh, and Van Halen and, and, and so much of that music is like I said, freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year. It's, it's my youth. It's my high school. It's, it's, you know, when I graduated, I was 17. So I still had a couple more uh, teenage years when they hook up with Van Halen, I mean with Van Hagar, Sammy Hagar comes in. I'm 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 still 18, 19 years old. So, but I really thought about it. The guitar-driven rock that 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 Eddie Van Halen uh, cemented his 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 signature style. I mean, be, having that track on Beat It was so phenomenal. And this is it. You look at that Beat, beat It video, and what's Michael doing? He's he's trying to act tough. Well, acting tough is macho, and for the guys who watch this show, when I talk about it's a it's a it's a macho show, when when Richard Anderson from from Six Million Dollar Man says, we, we we were a macho show, we were a macho show, Lee Major, Steve Austin, okay, Oscar Goldman couldn't have said it better. I'm, I'm we're we're a macho show. Well, 
And when I got on the New Mutants, I brought the macho. I brought cable and guns and swords and knives and double-edged sword, swords and uh, all sorts of armaments. And we machoed up New Mutants and made it X-Force. And I think rock and roll, Eddie Van Halen's rock and roll in particular, everything off all of those um, Van Halen album, women and children, you know, first, I mean, all those albums, all of them, their self-titled debut Van Halen, that was a macho band. And I, I felt like someone cut a piece of my masculinity out because I was, I was telling my wife, Van Halen was, at least for me, the act that when you drop your date off or when the girls get out of the car, the guys crank it to the point where they're going to blast and burst their speakers. And yes, I am 53 years old, but I remember this like it was yesterday and the bass is pumping and you hear that. That is is macho and it's, it speaks to our masculinity. And look, we've discussed in art, there are masculine lines and feminine lines, okay? That is part of what you learn in art class. A, a soft brush line is more of a feminine line. A hard quill jagged line is a masculine line. So th there's definitely more masculine um, music. And uh, I, I don't think anyone's going to call Taylor Swift's um, songs masculine, okay? Van Halen was... It spoke to the macho, and that's why I felt a part of me was carved out. And I toast you, Eddie Van Halen, and your amazing uh, guitar work. You were a maestro. You were the maestro. The band was your name, you and your brother. Everybody else was just visiting. Uh, he set the tone. He's the guy that created all the great killer riffs, the tracks, all that guitar on When It's Love and Why Can't This Be Love in the Beginning. Um, just unbelievable. Eddie Van Halen, what a life, um, what an accomplishment. And, and here on Rob's Observations, we tip our hat to you and to your son and to your ex-wife. But, but mostly Wolfgang, uh, boy, did he write something that, that, that really touched me. His, the most beautiful passing uh, of his father, uh, about his, the passing of his father. And, and it was really kicked me. And I mean, literally, I could not stop crying for several hours uh, when it was announced that he had passed away. So to you, Eddie, to Van Halen, Van Hagar, all of it. Uh, Eddie was the maestro. Thank you for all the music, my brother. And, uh, you know, wow, what a legacy. So the last time that we spoke, the last time we were all together, we were talking about comic book movies and how ironic that just a, basically a day later or the day that that podcast goes up, all the comic book movies leave the calendar. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's a single one still left in 2020, uh, they're all going to 2021. Some of them are going to 2022. So again, what are we going to do without our comic book films? And, and what I'm telling you right now is we're going to read comic books. That's what we're going to do. We're going to read comic books. Some of you are like, no life. I'm going to go watch all my favorite Marvel and DC films on, on DVD, on, on streaming. I'm going to download them. I got it. I hear you. Maybe you're not all going to read comics. I'm going to read more comics. Okay. Um, but it is weird. It is super weird that we, we spoke about this and where do you go from here? And what kind of hand is Kevin Feige holding with Master of Kung Fu, Eternals, and Black Widow uh, as a follow-up to this this 10-year fever pitch. And that's really, again, what he built was this in, incredible, incredible fever pitch that I saw my own in my own two sons and then later on my daughter. They all jumped on board, one after the other, other on the Marvel hype. But then Endgame was a perfect off-ramp. You, you're driving off. You, you saw them come together. You saw them defeat Thanos. You saw them... Uh, thwart this giant multi-film, multi-movie, chapter-long uh, saga uh, uh, conflict 
They solved it. Some of them lost their lives. Some of the characters are gone. It is a perfect off-ramp. Now you got to rebuild it. And, uh, and, and it's funny, in, 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 uh, again, so, so where this hits close to home is when, is when people, they, they, they pass me these rumors. Oh my gosh, Ryan Reynolds is going to, you know, re-sign for the biggest deal ever. And, and some of these non, I would say not that, that every site has some sort of credibility. It seems everybody, you know, even a broken clock is, 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 is right twice a day. I mean, like, like the thing is that, uh, that, that, that at some point, you know, it's the official announcements that come on the official trades that are accompanied by press releases uh, by the studios. That's when you know your 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 news is legit. But when someone saw these rumors are running around, and there was one that was running around that Ryan was going to get this major deal, and I just said, "Great, that's awesome." Who who doesn't want another Deadpool, right? I mean, and hopefully that includes Zazie Beats and of course Josh Brolin as Cable. But here's the deal: best case scenario, best case scenario. Um, I mean, Ryan's got movies to film. He, he, he's got like five or six commitments. Let's say he, he moves one aside, wedges a Marvel movie in. Let's say they start writing the script today. Look, I'm going to tell you, there's no way, there's no scenario that fast tracks a new Deadpool film um, anywhere uh, ahead of three years time. And I think that's super ambitious. So let's go four years, likely five years. So, so, so again, and, and Ryan's in his, in his mid forties right now. So, so he, I mean, so you're looking at maybe a, a guy very close to 50 playing Deadpool. I don't know if Ryan wants to do that. I think we're all aware he is a giant mega mogul. He, uh, you know, used those, parlayed those Deadpool earnings into investing in a giant, uh, you know, gin company, aviation gin. I have it. It's delicious. It's ridiculously, um, um, <laughs> it's, it's really good. I, I, I wouldn't tell you otherwise. I, 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 I had someone, I was like, wow, I don't even really normally like alcohol, but aviation is great. They should sponsor the show, but that's not why I'm doing this. That's, that's a joke. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, Ryan certainly doesn't need to do Deadpool. Uh, he, he set seemingly for the rest of his life. I mean, he sold aviation gin. It went for a gazillion dollars. So, you know, is, is, is that what he's dying to do? Maybe, maybe not. Regardless, best case scenario, best case scenario. Let's say everything's firing. It, it's probably five years out and I don't know where I'm going to be in five years. And so that's why I'm just going to go read some Deadpool comics, some X-Force comics, some great comic books, Walking Dead, uh, Firepower, all my favorite comics. That's where my head's going to be because that's what I dig. And speaking of comics, we left off last time with the saga of images. It continues to build. Now, going backwards, you guys know that post X-Force, well, during X-Force, I'm, like, I'm, I'm doing like X-Force 8, X-Force 9, and I'm going, you know, I've already planned to move on from this because when you are, uh, I'm going to put you in the mind of a 22 year old kid who jumped onto the new mutants that was selling the least and made it the best selling X-Men book. And, and, and after it was number one for several months, it then fought it out with X-Men, the longstanding giant Titan X-Force was the other dominant X-Men book. Cable was ridiculously popular. Shatterstar was ridiculously popular. Domino, Deadpool, all of it, right? I mean, these books were selling at the top of the charts and the toys are coming out. The, the, I, I'm, I'm notified Toy This is doing not one, but two lines of X-Force toys. Cable in plastic, Deadpool, Kane, Gideon, Strife. You guys know you bought them. They were at Target. They were at Walmart. They were everywhere. Um, mass market success. So my, my entire thrust was, well, am I going to do the Fantastic Four, which is like a passion of mine? But do I, is that a step back at this time? Everything has to be thought of at this time. Or do I keep pushing this forward? People kind of like my ideas, fresh ideas, fresh faces, new designs, new names. That, that, that's, 
that's got a place in the marketplace. Um, and, 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 and the retailers have told me repeatedly that they are selling out of everything I do. So, so I probably want to keep pushing. And if I, if I have basically 5% ballpark, 5%, that's what the deal worked out to be in, 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 in 1991 of all these characters. And, and that's for my lifetime, right? If, if, well, what, what would a hundred percent of ownership look like? And so I felt like that was worth my rolling the dice. And if you guys remember, I was hired into the comic book world through my sample pages, an eight page Youngblood story. And all of the Youngblood characters, uh, were, were interacting on those pages. I didn't get hired drawing Captain America, Spider-Man or Dr. Strange or the FF or Justice League. I got hired drawing Youngblood, my independent, uh, 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 comic book that I was going to publish with Megaton Comics. Gary Carlson, swell guy, had had his Megaton comic book line. Eric Larson got his launch there. Angel Medina got his launch there. I got my launch there. Um, uh, a really talented uh, uh, kind of Neil Adams-esque, I think he may have worked with Neil at Continuity, named Clark Hawbaker. He got his start there. So many um, really fresh-faced, bold talents. What am I thinking? Butch Geis Jackson Geis. Uh, got his start first issue of Megaton. Gary had a great eye for talent and we were all having a good time in independent comics. And so it was time for me to kind of investigate that. So I was pursuing Youngblood, packaging Youngblood, or maybe the Executioners. Okay. As I've told you, the Executioners became the Berserkers and the Berserkers uh, were in Youngblood number two and part of the bridge that we built towards the Prophet universe. And as we're speaking, um, the the executive producer, mastermind, genius, uh, writer and producer talent, Mark Guggenheim, who you've read his comics, but you have most certainly watched his TV shows. I mean, whether it's Arrow or Legends of Tomorrow, you have seen Mark's handiwork. He wrote the Prophet movie that a company called Studio 8 optioned for me, and they have spared no expense, uh, whether it was the option or hiring Mark for the top uh, top of the line because Mark is top of the line. He he is not a uh, an unexpensive talent. He is top of the line, and Mark wrote an incredible incredible profit movie. But I'm not reading that script. He handed it in about four weeks ago. My 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 desire is that the studio sticks with what he wrote, and that it finds its way onto screen, because what is on those pages is really exciting, and I I feel like I have a good instinct of what the fans know because. Um, newsflash, I am one. I am one. I continue to be one. And uh, I may go and you may see pictures of me uh, at a Marvel function or at a Deadpool premiere or at a Black Panther premiere or an Endgame premiere, but I'm also back in the theater a week later, two weeks later, seeing that movie with audiences multiple times. I, I own them on my 4K. I buy them digitally before if I can because I can't wait. I'm like you guys. I am a fan. And what, what, what Mark wrote for profit is a blockbuster. It would get the eyeballs. People would be excited. I don't read that profit script. I don't, that profit script doesn't exist. Profit isn't out there. If I don't pivot and do my own thing and, and do young blood and the executioners are turning the, the, the berserkers and the berserkers help bridge that gap to the young blood world because the berserkers are part of the, the profit saga in the same way that you got Submariner introduced, reintroduced in the Fantastic Four. Or you got Silver Surfer actually introduced in the Fantasy Four, and Black Panther introduced in the Fantasy Four. Youngblood was like the Avengers, a conduit, or like the Fantasy Four, a conduit uh, to which 
to where you met a lot of other exciting characters. I mean, none better than the Fantasy Four because you got the Inhumans, you got Black Panther, you got Silver Surfer, you got Galactus, you got so much. And and Youngblood, uh, you know, was was the launch book of Image, as you know. But getting there was uh, like like you know skipping through a minefield because as as determined as Eric Larson and myself and Jim Valentino were to use our Marvel success and turn back towards the independent market that we came from. As I said, Eric and I from Megaton, Jim um, Jim Valentino came from Indie Comics with his blockbuster um, Normal Man. He also did a stint on uh, Myth Adventures, M-Y-T-H, Myth Adventures. Um, that's where we came from. It was exciting. It's exciting having control. None of it was dictated by money. It was all about control. I wanted to um, see if the next thing that I could do was something that I could have more creative control. And I had a ton of control. But the reason it was a right time to pivot out of Marvel was that this corporate structure was happening, this corporate-minded structure that I had successfully dodged, I had not encountered. It was it was coming together. Um, we were asked to go to our first corporate planning meeting. And when I say us, I mean myself and Jim Lee and Mark Silvestri, who was then on Wolverine. And the, the plan was to go to New York and to meet Marvel would fly us all out there, put us all up, and we were going to meet with other ex-creators. Well, Jim and I talked all the time. Jim and I, there were no real surprises. We would fax each other pages. Um, we, we kept each other on our toes. My time with Jim in the X office was very, very exciting. And Jim, as you know, my favorite work that he's ever done is the Uncanny X-Men. The Magneto, the Savage Land, the Imperial Guard, X-Men 275. Those comics are perfect. They are flawless. I see no weakness on the page that is a hungry artist looking to make a giant name for himself. And surprise, he did just that. He did just that. He has the amazing embellishment of the best inker of his generation. Scott Williams is in tandem with him, um, finishing his lines, uh, giving the crispiest, crunchiest, slickest brush and cool work um, that you could possibly imagine. That that run is spectacular. It is nothing sort of spectacular. And... Uh, you know, I, I got along with Jim. We got along. He knew what I was capable of on New Mutants and X-Force. He saw the territory that I had carved for myself. And, uh, but, but they were giving X-Factor to, uh, I think it was Peter David and Larry Stroman. And, and then, uh, and then of course there were our scripters who were going to be in attendance. The guys who were, um, at one of the credits, <laughs> I looked recently on the credit. If you want a big kick, go look at the credit boxes on X-Force. I never wrote them. Apparently, my letterer, uh, Chris Iliopoulos, uh, super talented artist. He does all of the books with uh, Brad Meltzler. Uh, the, all of the uh, all of the brilliant, brilliant. Um, I am George Washington. I am Ben Franklin. I am Martin Luther King. Introductory kids books that have just blown up. And uh, he is the actual artist. He used to put little cartoons of Shatterstar or Cable or or or, or what have you in in my. Uh, in the boxes when he would send me back the, the pages lettered because back in the day once I transferred the pages onto 11 by 17 I would send them to Chris to letter them to take up as much space as possible so then when I go to ink I am not inking through uh, uh, space that is going to be occupied by lettering it's, it's a way to kind of ward off 25% uh, uh, of the page because then you're you know you, when you're trying to make your deadline that matters those word balloons are already on the page they're already mapped out if cable is making a big speech 
in a fight scene, well, then I know that those parts of the wall I don't have to draw in. Like, it, it, it just helps. It's, it's part of the con, uh, economy of time that you're, you're constructing that. But in those credit boxes, Chris would put some fun things in. And uh, oftentimes he would call the scripter the balloon stuffer or the dialoguer. And that's what they were. Jim and I would come up with the stories. And we had done so, so far so good, right? We had done so far so good. Uh, Chris Claremont had left over creative differences. I don't think he liked the fact that Jim was calling the shots. Chris was brilliant, but Jim was fresh. Jim had earned the right to call his shots, and he was. And for a brief period of time there, John Byrne scripted. So so John Byrne came back to be the balloon stuffer, uh, the dialoguer. But then he left, and there was a new balloon stuffer, a new dialoguer. So those guys were going to show up. Um, I don't know who was writing. Maybe Larry Hama was writing uh, Wolverine. So you'd have the Wolverine team with Mark, and then you had myself and Jim Lee, uh, the dialogue guys. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, uh, beyond Peter David. I, I know Peter David was going to be there. And so so that 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 kind of was like weird. Like, wait, I'm going to plan my world with other people. And I had kind of been a lone wolf. I had been a, a lone wolf and, and had come up with New Mutants and, and, uh, and X-Force, generated all of those stories from Orange County, California, from Fullerton, California, my my background assistant Richard, my 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 full time assistant Marat would attest to you that is where all of that stuff originated. That's where those fax machines, um, you know, burped through on the other side. I saw, I found all the notes to New Mutants '98, the exact, the stick figure layouts, the plot, the story that I wrote for myself, but not just for myself. I wrote it for my editor so he approve it and he'd sign off on it. That's what story is. That's what about that's, that's what doing story is. So I was doing story on my own. It doesn't say co-story or co-writer. It says plot and or story. That was me. I was doing it on my own. I had had nothing but ridiculous success as we have covered. That is not to toot my horn. Please, some of you that just get so easily triggered, that is to just reinforce what a 22-year-old mind is thinking that I have changed the culture of this comic book and turned it around and it is now selling a gazillion copies, 5 million copies, the second issue, 1.7 million copies. We were doing spectacularly well on our own. Jim was mapping the course for both Uncanny X-Men with Wills Portacio and X-Men with himself on his own. Those guys were jamming, creating their stories. Jim, his own story. I don't know how much um, input um, Wills had when he was taking over Uncanny. But so so all of the... Um, Claremont and the previous generation were, were gone. We had dialoguers. Larry Hama was the full writer on Wolverine. So we were, and Peter David was coming on X Factor. So we were all being asked to summit, and that was coming, that was looming. And I just didn't want to really share all my ideas. I don't want, had I, you know, the, the, the big thing that my editor and, and the dialoguer said to me when I left, right before I left X Force, I revealed that Domino, from her introduction, the character, the identity of Domino in New Mutants 98 was not really Domino. That that Nina was being held underneath, uh, you know, in a, in a, in, a, in a dark cavern uh, in the clutches of Tolliver, who was my Jabba the Hutt, who had sent his version of Boba Fett, you know, Deadpool, my, my asshole mercenary. He had sent him to infiltrate and open the door that, that Domino could come in, but that wasn't Domino with everybody. Cable wasn't with Domino. He was with a doppelganger. And, uh, and, and, and Vanessa was the doppelganger. And when I revealed that Domino in, in the X-Mansion was Vanessa and the real Domino was underneath, 
uh, Tolliver's lair being held hostage. My editor said, Rob, I thought that Strife was the big mic drop, but you really shocked me with this reveal. The dialoguer said the same. He said, I, I didn't see this coming. And again, I held stuff close to my vest. I didn't want to share my best ideas. And, and, and my idols were Coppola and Scorsese and Cameron and Spielberg and those guys. And they, um, for the most part, Cameron wrote his own stories. Okay. Um, Coppola, Scorsese had strong hands in their stories. I was a big fan of filmmakers. Obviously, George Lucas wrote and directed the classic, the original, the, the, the Star Wars that changed the entire universe as we know it. So going to a summit was kind of like, I'm not really excited about this. So I was more prepared to do my own thing in, 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 in terms of control. Control, I, I'm now being asked to cede control and to start sharing control with a group of guys that I don't really know. I don't know Peter, Peter David, and I, I, I know Larry Hama well enough to know that he doesn't care what I'm going to do, okay? He, he, he doesn't care. He's going to do his thing, and, and I have no say in Wolverine, and Wolverine has no say, but they did want to think about another giant corporate crossover. But again, my mind is, where do I go after this, okay? And where has Todd McFarlane been all this time? He has been retired. We have covered another crucial piece of this is that he spent his year away from Spider-Man when he said goodbye with the X-Force crossover. I believe that's Spider-Man 14. When he said goodbye... He went about creating a trading card company, getting the NHL license to create the front row trading card line. And and so, you guys, I know you want to hear me say it, so I will. It's, why would you sit in the upper deck when you can sit in the front row? Well, that was his dream. That's what he wanted. That That is um, what fell just short of, of being a reality for him. And it didn't come together. So, Todd is now circling back because... The, 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 all of the effort, buying the photographs, designing the cards, working with the designers, working with the printer, drawing the caricatures, making the presentation, flying to go meet with the NHL, presenting to the NHL. So all of that has taken its toll on Todd. And so now he's thinking, what do I do as my follow-up? He knows that Rob, who he deems increasingly with increasing, uh, 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 how do I say this? Uh, he just does it more and more and more. He refers to me as his little buddy. Oh, my little buddy. Little bud. Little bud. And uh, I've told you before, it, it reminded me of how Shaq call, referred to Kobe as the, the, the little brother. And sometimes that's a compliment. And sometimes it's meant to put you in your place and say, you know, big brother has got control of the wheel and, and, and you're the little guy. And I would um I would compartmentalize it and go, okay, that's how he sees me. I am certainly much younger than him. So maybe that's why little buddy. But when he heard of the little buddy's plan that I'm going to go off and I'm going to do an independent project and Larson and Valentino are in on it and they're going to follow with me and we're going to start this independent label. We're going to maybe even share space in some comics and do different, you know, stories, uh, split them, you know, make it a flip book. Eric's got, you know, side A, I have side B. The next time it's B and A, but both sides of the front side, you know, when you're doing a flip book, uh, a shared, everybody's doing 12 pages. You know, it's the guy in the middle, but it was, it's like Dark Horse Comics Presents. They had, they had a cool little anthology um, model going that we all liked, but this would be more dedicated. These were the ideas we were thinking about. And of course, the executioners in Youngblood were on my mind, and that's the way, place I was going to go. And, and here's the deal, guys. Obviously, I had made a lot of money by now on X-Force, and we got to go back to me helping my parents out. Well, the money from X-Force wasn't going to reach me for 10 months. Marvel would pay out 10 months. Now, the, 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 
the reason that they give you at the time, um, you kind of accept because you're young and you're stupid and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. But like Jim Lee book broke it down to me once. He goes, they're keeping that money in escrow. They get paid on those books, you know, uh, 60 days, 90 days after X-Force. They had the money for X-Force number one by, let's say, end of July, early August. They did not pay me until the following May. So they got to keep that money in an account, earn interest on it. Now think about that. They're keeping Jim's X-Men money in there too. And while X-Men number one money is in escrow, so is X-Men 2 and X-Men 3 and X-Men 4 until the time where they cut me the check for X-Force number one, which by that time they probably got six or seven issues escrowed. And there's all that money they're, they're accruing interest on. So the, they told you, you get paid on your royalties every 10 months. Now, the, the, the good thing is, had I gotten that money within three months, I probably would have left earlier because that was seed money for my own kind of business aspirations, right? And uh, and sometimes I think that that's why they stopped kind of um, really, uh, when, when you think about the favor that they gave to artists, uh, the thing is, once you get that kind of lump sum payment, that does in fact entitle you. And, 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 and when it's a royalty and there's no contract, you're just, it's part of your work for hire deal that you're going to get that. Then, then if you get it after three months, then you're gone. Now, if they pay it to you up front and you've signed a contract up front for a certain amount of money, you're contracted to stay there through all 12 issues. And I, I know guys who, who, who have got 12, 24 issue deals. And some guys are like, yeah, no, this wasn't a two year contract. It was a 24 issue contract and you've already accepted the payment, but we have to get 24 issues out of you. So when they lock you in on the front end, it's different than being on the back end. The back end with the royalties, I never had, I've never had a contract with Marvel other than Heroes Reborn. And certainly at this time, I was just a freelancer, and this was the freelance creator royalties rates. So I got my, my, my writing, my story rate, my penciling rate, my inking rate, then my creation rate, you know, creating the characters and the title. So all that kicks in, gives me my amount of money. When I finally receive my check for X-Force, it's actually four months after I received my check for New Mutants 100. And on New Mutants 100, I got I got like $350,000, okay? I got a million dollars on X-Force. On X-Force number two, I mean, I got like, like $450,000. So I'm 23 at that point, and I'm making an enormous amount of money. And so so I'm banking it, and, and, and my dreams are finally coming true, and that I'm, I'm going to be able to take care of my parents. When X-Force number one sold, I can start planning on my long pad of paper, how I'm going to divvy it out. I'm going to buy my parents a house, um, get them out of the apartment, the condo, give them security, secure them away. And, 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 and they've, you know, done so many great things for me, believed in me. And I'm going to take care of my dad who's been ill and been sick. So, so by that time, as I approached doing an independent comic, and again, my dad, God bless him, when he saw me and heard my ideas that I was going to go and leave Marvel, he said, Rob, you're going to leave Marvel? And I said, yeah, dad, I've, I, I figured it out at Marvel. I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm getting like five cents a copy or, you know, whatever it is, whatever it works out to be. I said, uh, I said, the bottom line is, um, you know, or, or whatever, 30 cents a copy, 20 cents, whatever it is. I said, dad, if, if, if I sell a book, you know, for, for, for $2 and 50 cents, I'm going to get a dollar 25 a book. And I said, dad, look, I have worked it out because I, I, for as, as, as confident as I was in the Marvel model, I, I was also aware that, that those Marvel fans may not have followed me. They may not have followed me to my independent project. They may have been so wrapped up in the X and so um, in love with the, the Marvel brand name and the world that, that, that Spider-Man can swing through the book at any time, okay? That I was realistic. On my sales projections, I had a very 
uh, bold prediction that, that Youngblood number one would sell 200,000 copies. But if I'm making a buck a book, you know, I'm going to make $200,000. And that's going to still allow me to build the future that I'm trying to build, given that I've now got this huge nest egg from my new mutants and my X-Force earnings. And again, guys, I'm not the only one who's got this nest egg. Jim's got this nest egg. Todd's got this nest egg. Spider-Man made, you know, Spider-Man sold 3 million copies. I remember the day Todd called me up about 10 months after, you know, roughly into Spider-Man 9 or 10 and goes, I got my check, bud. Oh, it's real. It's real. And you got to understand, guys, we didn't get into comics to make money. We got into comics because most of us didn't know what to do. Didn't know what else. I mean, I wasn't going to be a lawyer. I was going to be a doctor. I had no pension for studying. I was completely scribbling all the time. I was a terrible, terrible student. Please don't tell my kids. I don't think they listen to this podcast. I don't want them to find this out. Um, I was not a good student, but man, I could draw and I could tell stories and that was my passion and that's what I invested time in. And if I could just get by and provide for my family, I'm, I'm in the same place today. I just want to provide for my family. I got three kids. I got an amazing wife, 25 year marriage. I just want to provide for my family. In those days, I just want to provide for my mom and dad. And so I was preparing that even though my sales were not going to be anywhere near it, I was going to be making maybe same, if not better, that I was going to make on X-Force number 10, okay? So that was the thought in regards to it's not about the money, it's about the control. I already planned on selling way less than I was selling at Marvel. So when I broke this all down, and again, my dad said, well, I hope you know what you're doing. And I, I literally said, Dad, I pretty much, I'm pretty sure that I can sell, you know, a hundred thousand. I'm basically saying, Dad, I can on my own sell what New Mutants was selling when I was asked to take it over and save it. Okay, so that's what I'm doing. I, I still remember my long legal pad that I would work everything out in my marker. There was no, you know, there was no uh, uh, laptop computers, no personal computers, no iPads. Remember this? Um, maybe the accountants had the had the really nice expensive software in 1991 to do all this math. 1992. I'm just working it out on my long pad and I'm talking it over with other guys in the business. You know, again, with Malibu Comics, who I had already approached, I had already met with Dave Olberts. We were a go. I was going forward with my independent comic. But Todd, now kind of a little bruised from the NHL turning down his uh, front row cards. And again, there are people, I didn't know some of the people Todd was working with to make those cards a reality. Some people on the business end, some people on the creative end. They've all reached out and said, oh my gosh, I can't believe you put that story out there. You know, so many people don't know about that story. So again, I, I, what, I'm, what I'm bringing to you with my history and my recollection of comics is the real stuff. This is facts. I, I put those cards online and some of you are like, I didn't know these existed. Oh my gosh, I've never seen front row cards. Well, now you have. And you know that that was... That was something that Todd was planning on going off and doing and running a rival trading card company to Upper Deck. And that was going to be his passion. And I'm sure had he gotten the NHL a couple of years later, it was football, it was baseball. Like I said, Todd's like, I'm going to get you and Jim to do cards. Uh, lo and behold, we eventually did. Jim and I did do NFL cards, NBA cards. Okay. That, that happened shortly after the Image Comics launch. But in the middle of all of this, Todd says... Yeah, but uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to do the, the, the independent thing. I, I, I don't know that that's my calling. That, that, that's the unknown. It's unknown. But uh, I'm thinking I could uh, I could break some records with Batman. I think I could go over and uh, <clears throat> flex with the Batman. And uh, people like my Batman. You know, I was uh, doing that uh, year two before I got, uh, you know, you know, 
pulled in by Marvel and uh, Batman. I'm thinking, I'm thinking that's the way to go. Well, Jim Lee's having his own second thoughts about what he's going to do and his follow-up. How do you follow up again? Th- there is nothing better than X Men if you're if you're just drawing Marvel's characters and drawn out of Marvel's catalog. You know, you've exceeded everything there. I mean, Jim is 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 not going to go do the Fantastic Four at this point either. Okay, it's called pushing the envelope, pushing your relevance, um, making legacy moves. So lo and behold, Todd tells me that he's going to go talk to DC about him doing Batman. That is his follow-up. He is coming back from Spider-Man, not doing trading cards, the NHL shutting him down. He's going to do Batman. Now, he sends me through his Batman drawing that he's doodled up, and it's really kind of uh, very familiar to all the other Batman drawings he's done with, with Batman in a graveyard and very, very much silhouette. But would it have sold like hotcakes taught on Batman? It would have. Would it have sold $3 million? I won't bet against it. I think it would have done extremely, extremely well. Here's the curveball. Jim Lee also wants to go do Batman. I said it last time. I never, ever, ever had any desire to do Batman. Just the other day, in one of my favorite, favorite Facebook groups, uh, one of another professional put out there said, Hey, everybody, let's share our favorite Batman. Let's share our favorite Batman story. What's yours? And he shared his as a Neil Adams Batman story. And everyone went about sharing theirs. I weighed in and I said, my favorite Batman story is Dark Knight Returns. Frank Miller, he's Batman's never been cooler, never been better, never been more amazing to me. And I'm not a Batman fan. So that's my answer. It'll always be that answer. It'll always be Dark Knight. It'll always be Frank Miller. Well, you know, I just don't have any desire to do Batman. I, I, you know, going in, I'm going to, my mind is going to tell me that I'm never going to do better than what Frank did. So why even attempt it? I've got a, a, a blockage there. Okay. Um, I didn't have to outdo anybody's version of Cable and Shatterstar and Deadpool. That that they were mine. I, I didn't have anybody else, any anyone else's version to compete with. There wasn't a John Byrne Deadpool, an Art Adams Cable at the time to you know to, to to compete with. There wasn't some Neil Adams run on Cable to intimidate me. So I was just doing it myself. But so Jim says he's going to do Batman. Well, lo and behold, here it comes. He's like, hey, you want to see him? Calls me. You want to see him? I did, I did some Batman drawings. Well, hell yeah, I want to see him. Like I said, that era of Jim is my absolute all-time favorite. And so Marat and I, I think we both, like I can I can still see our shadows looming over the fax machine as it began. Yes, that's the sound of a fax machine, kids. And there comes that wax paper. Now, I have one of these drawings. I'm, I'm trying to find out if I have the second one. They, they, they've actually been seen, um, these 1992, early, early 92 drawings of, uh, of, or late 91 drawings of Batman that Jim did. Two of them come over, two of them. And I am telling you, because I'll, I'll, I'll load these on my site. You can see them in the, in the uh, news and notes section on the Rob Liefeld Creations podcast. You hit podcast on the menu bar and there's every episode. And the one thing that we load there is all of the pictures. Uh, that, that reference what I'm talking about. Uh, that's where you saw the Todd McFarlane front row stuff. Well, I'm going to show you that one, I have one right now. Hopefully I can find two by the time this goes live of those Batman. And they came through Jim Pencil and Ink them himself. He did the entire art chores and it was Frank Miller's Dark Knight, um, more commercially appealing than you could ever possibly. Slick, more polished than Frank, but it was Frank's proportions, the thicker, uh, Bruce Wayne, the thicker Batman, 
in the short years, not the long years. This was not Neil Adams or Jim Apero's Batman or Irv Novick or Dick Dillon's. It was none of that. It was Frank Miller's Batman via Jim Lee. We've talked in the past in some of our influence episodes how Jim is a is 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 a cipher. He can look at a drawing and take the aspects of those drawings he wants and put them into his work immediately. Um, a buddy of mine, Carl Allstetter, was his assistant. His um, pencil and and inking assistant did. If you go through um, the uh, the the extinction agenda in the first chapter that Jim draws when the Genosians attack and all those that that mecha tech armor and the sky sleds, Carl drew all those. He was that's how they saved time and made deadlines. Carl is really good with tech and mecha, and that is all his stuff. Will Spertaccio will attest to this. Um, I believe Scott Williams will attest to this because he was inking over, you know, Carl's tech, and then Jim will draw the figures in the background and the environments around them. Um, Carl's told me this. Will's has told me this. It's verified. Um, but 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 Carl has said, you know, he can look at a John Byrne drawing, draw like a John, draw, draw like John Byrne. He can look at Art Adams and take what he wants out of Art Adams. I can tell you when Jim went down the Kevin Nolan slide, and it's like, oh my gosh, he he draws like Kevin Nolan now. But these were like Frank Miller, but I liked them more because Jim made them even more slick and appealing and commercial, and it was cool. And I was like, holy crap. I think the fans are going to go apeshit for this. Well, what am I going to do? I'm not doing Batman. So I'm like, well, I'm kind of already doing Youngblood. And Youngblood is kind of like my amalgamation of everything I love in the Avengers and the Titans. So, uh, okay, I'll put my two cents in and I'll submit for doing the Titans. And I'll, I, I submitted a title and it was the first time it had been submitted. And the editor of that book will attest to this. And Marv Wolfman, I believe, will attest to this because I had one brief conversation with Marv because, of course, I would want to honor Marv. But I said, I want to do Team Titans. Now, you got a book a couple of years later called Team Titans, but that moniker was introduced by me. I submitted my Youngblood drawing as Team Titans, T-E-A-M, Team Titans. And uh, the editor of that book is Jonathan Peterson. Jonathan Peterson is extremely well-known in comic books, especially at that time. Uh, I met him through Jerry Ordway, and Jonathan was the most affable, uh, likable, smiling, happy, uh, just, one, uh, he's a do-gooder. He's just a good, good, good guy. Jonathan Peterson, you'll see his name all over uh, DC Comics in 88, 89, 90. He was an editor. He had the Titans family, and he, I went to him directly, and he's like, Rob, I'm going to submit this. I can't believe this is amazing. Rob Lightbelt from X-Force is going to come over. I said, but I have a condition. I have a condition. I have to make at least $150,000 an issue on the first 10 issues of Team Titans. Now, you're listening right now going, what are you talking about, Rob? $150,000 a month? So, I've already covered you. I have not dipped under two hundred grand on X-Force at this time. So, why would I take a pay cut? I'm, I am taking a pay cut. I'm hedging you know, trying to be, uh, tr trying to be, uh, uh, you know, prudent. I want to make it worth DC's while and be worth my while. Cause now this is, this is, this is the deal. Todd and Jim, I know are talking to Paul Levitz about Batman. I'm not privy to the money deals. I'd never asked, what are you getting paid? When are you getting paid? I didn't ask any of that. I, I didn't feel it was my place. I knew my value, my worth said, if I'm going to do this, I need to be locked into 
150,000 per issue. If they're selling anywhere near a million copies of Teen Titans number one, that book is going to net me in royalties about, you know, somewhere in the $400,000 range. So this is safe. This is a safe bet for them. I'm just knowing my value and judging it by what I'm going to get on my own. And I've already figured out if I sell 100,000, which again is 10% of what I'm selling. If I sell 100,000 of my independent comic book, I'm going to make $200,000. Okay. So, so, or, or, or very least a hundred thousand. So I'm in the ballpark. Okay. Um, um, and, and, uh, so, so I go forward with these financial terms and Jonathan Peterson says, I'm going to get back to you. I'm going to do my best. And he comes back to me and Jim and Todd have their Batman drawings and are submitting them They're You know, I'm on my own. I've submitted through Malibu. I'm going to do my own independent comic. I've come up with the deal. I've driven to Malibu uh, offices in Malibu, California, in Calabasas. I've met with everybody. I've had sit downs with, uh, with, with, with Dave Olbrich. I'm, 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 I'm setting up the course. This is, this is going to happen. And, uh, and, and, and so Jim and Todd, Todd really changed the conversation by going, I'm, I'm going to see about, about Batman. And again, at that point, my entire, uh, endeavor is I'm going to keep running close to these guys. And look, we're the 5 million sales, 3 million sales, 8 million sales guys. Okay. That's we're the top three best-selling guys in the business. So we're all moving as a unit at this time. So I get told by Jonathan Peterson that Paul Levitz wants to do it, wants to go forward, but under no circumstances will he guarantee you $150,000 an issue for the first 10 issues. And I said, well, that's my maker to break it. And so then he says, well, you can talk to Paul. So I am told to call Paul at a certain time. I talked to Paul Levitz and Paul Levitt says to me, no, Rob, Rob, I, I really, I, I think this is great. It's a great idea. You know, it, 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 it certainly, I mean, it, I, I think it would be a big deal. So let's stop right there. I think it would be a big deal. They wouldn't market it as just a Batman book by Todd and a Batman book by Jim and a, and a book by Rob. They would have made it a, a movement. They would have made it a line. The, you know, uh, I'm sure we would have shared some sort of sh at least one shared concept the way Todd and I crossed over you know, X-Force 3 and 4 with Spider-Man 14. DC would have marketed it as a group. This is a movement because that's how you get the max amount of awareness and response. And that would have made the retailers the happiest and excited that the, the fans, maybe Todd goes first, I go second, Jim goes last, Batman, Titans, Batman. Again, the Titans even had a, you know, connection to Batman. So it all makes sense. Uh, but, but so, so let's, let's, let's dwell on that, that, that this would do great. Of course it would do great. You've got Rob and Jim and Todd coming to DC. And we have just been the biggest things ever at Marvel. But I, 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 it's going to be a big deal. But I, I, I just, I can't go there on the money. I can't guarantee it. For me to take that risk and to not follow my dream of the moment and to detour into DC, I needed what I needed. In who knew, who knew guys that I was shooting so low? As you all know, Youngblood number one launched the image revolution. It was by itself in the catalog in April, May, and June of uh, 1992. And there was nothing else following it until Spawn in July because they didn't know what to make of it. But when I, my, my initial orders, my initial orders on Youngblood came in at half a million. And you gotta understand the egos of all of us, including now 
Eric Larson, Mark Silvestri, after the pact has been made, and I'm jumping the gun a little here, but we've got to discuss the the, the the irony of all this. Um, They were like, oh my gosh, well, I'm selling 500000 Well, it, to their mind, well, I'll sell more. One of them, I won't say which one, said, oh, I'll definitely sell more. Oh, I'll, I'll definitely sell more than that. And uh, so, so Youngblood number one came out in April of 1992, and it sold 1.1 million copies. I did indeed get over a dollar a book, and I made over $1 million off Youngblood number one. It was a fever. It was crazy. Spawn came out. I think he sold 1.2. We're going to get to where he get, got that extra bump later. That was negotiated. That is a uh, a set of comics for Walmart. You're going to want to know this. I got all of the details. Um, those packs of comics that were sold. Todd, just skipping ahead here. He made certain. And I remember Harold. Harold was the head of the company. Harold packed it because Todd brought it to everybody. He made Harold promise to buy 100000 more um, than they would have anybody else. So he ensured his extra cherry on top, the icing on the cake, with that additional 100000 in his pocket. So Todd has the best selling of the launches. Then Jim came in at $1.1 million. Wildcats and Youngblood sold the same. Todd sold $1.2. But think about this. Let's say that let's say that Todd and Jim were asking for 200000 plus, or maybe they were looking for a guaranteed contract. And Paul Levitz wouldn't wouldn't commit to those either. I, I don't know what they were asking. Maybe they were asking for nothing. But for whatever reason, he said no to all of us. What, whatever our demands were, Paul Levitz said no. This is prior to you seeing Youngblood in the solicitation. Because I immediately went, oh, okay, he's not going to do my deal. He's not going to get me for 150000 guaranteed an issue for the first 10 issues. Um, okay, I'm, 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 I'm going ahead, full speed ahead. This is early 1992. Um, I submit my stuff in the catalog in February of 92. It's in your hands to order. It's going to come out. You know, the, 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 the train has left the station because Paul Levitz decided it would be too big of a financial commitment for him to go in on uh, three guys who would end up making a million an issue. Every issue of the first five issues of Youngblood sold a million copies. Todd, same. Jim, same. Uh, so what I turned out to be asking was, I guess, slightly, uh, what, what Paul Levitz turned down in his genius was 10% of what I was going to make on Youngblood. 10% of what I was going to make on Youngblood. We can scheme and go, well, Image succeeded because it was all new stuff. And people were into the all new stuff and they were into the Image movement. And well, my 500,000 sales that were the initial, and you guys, even today, okay, so a buddy of mine puts out a comic. He put it out a couple weeks ago. It got initial orders of 40,000 units. Then they put more covers on it, and it went up, and it went up, and it went up until it hit 100,000. Your initial orders are just a taste. Then there's, we're going to press, would you like to order any more? And most people hit that button and go, I need to hedge my bets. And as the fever of image grew and they saw more of Youngblood, they ordered a million copies and a million of Youngblood 2 and a million of Youngblood 3 and a million of Youngblood 4. I'm saying this uh, because it is very funny that Paul Levitz would not push the button to secure the three most exciting creators of their age. He would not secure us, take us off the table for, for me, a guarantee of $150,000 an issue. And again, I understand you're saying, Rob, that's so much even in today's term. It wasn't back then. It was, it was very affordable. It was very reasonable. It was just so much more than he was used to paying 
somebody else. And if he was worried about, oh my gosh, if I pay this guy, then Tom, Dick, and Harry down the street who, who are already making X amount from us are going to hear about this and they're going to want it. So I got to keep this at bay because this is going to set a precedence I can't deal with. That is bad management. That is bad management. And Paul Levitz was a bad manager. And uh, and he, he managed to not secure us and create the Image Comics movement. And so... You're, you're, you you had to wait an additional what was it uh what was it was it a decade for Jim to give you Batman ten years later you'd get the Batman that you were waiting for the the Batman that we saw come over on the fax machine you haven't gotten really Todd's Batman other than maybe some Batman spawns but he didn't I think okay he drew he drew one of them that's right um but but it wasn't pure Batman okay um I I get I, I did a couple issues of Teen Titans they were fun I got that out of my system um. You know, uh, uh, back in like I guess 2005, 2006. But this was a movement. This was a wave. We had, um, we had the eyeballs. We had the control to give you an idea. This would be again around X Force number X Force number eight and nine is when these talks are going on. And imagine, I mean, when we left Marvel to form our own label. To this day, whether it was CNN or the Wall Street Journal or Barron's financial paper covered it that seven artists break off form their own independent label. What if DC Comics had been the recipient? DC Comics takes Marvel's top creators. There was no downside. But for whatever reason, Paul Levitz, um, we can all thank him. I do. I now have a catalog of characters. Uh, again, I have a screenplay for one of my favorite creations, Profit, by a brilliant writer with an eager studio who wants to bring it to you in live action. That exists because Paul Levitz turned us down. That the, the 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 sliding doors, which is one of my favorite Gwyneth Paltrow movies, one of my favorite movies. Period. It's such a cool alternate timeline uh, movie. If you've never seen it, see it. It's brilliant. Um, if 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 Gwyneth Paltrow goes one direction, her life completely changes. It's it's the butterfly wing effect, except without the consequences of hard sci-fi. It, it, it's the sliding doors um, future that that Paul Levitt signs us. We is probably not as bright and fun as as the one that we all eventually lived in, but the the the, the world and the and, and the reality that was that was that came together with him thinking that we were too expensive and not guaranteeing a, guaranteeing us what would eventually be ten percent of our image earnings in the first year was just nothing short of short sighted and 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 stubborn and and bad management and and I'm okay I've been in the business a long time seven editors in chief of Marvel right okay. Uh, I have been doing this for a very long time. I had comic books come out this week. I love comics. I know the players in comics. I know the business of comics. I know the fans. I started this way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close it this way because I am a fan. So there is another piece of how Image Comics was being shaped because now DC is not an option. That easy home run of Batman is not coming together. So now Todd's got some choices to make. Jim's got some choices to make. I've made mine. The train has left the station. Image Comics is coming together. What Eric and and Jim and I, uh, Jim Valentino and I had 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 envisioned is now going to happen. I am the sacrificial lamb. I'm the guy with no wife, with no kids. Um, I, I, I'm young. I, I got I got nothing to lose, and and I've bet it all on myself. And we will continue to plow through the Image Comics story because so much of the '90s is what this is focused on. Image comics will eventually dictate the death of Superman. That is coming. That happened. We 
as, as Image Comics we become the number two comic company. Did you know that? Are you hearing it for the first time? It was in August of 1992 with seven of our comics. Our market share is greater than DC Comics, who is publishing more than 60 comics in August of 1992. In August of 1992, it's Marvel, Image, and DC. That is a chart. It is historical. It shook the world, but we haven't gotten there yet. Guys, thank you for hanging out with me. I love talking comics with you and, and, and sharing with you the history of comics. Some of it I, I witnessed. Some of it I, I partook in. It is so fun to, to analyze it, to, to look over it. Um, thanks for hanging with me. Thanks for sharing your time with me. Catch me on social media, on Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld, at Rob Liefeld. I have a blue check. I had an imposter this week. I had to tell everybody, that's not me. Uh, if, 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 if it doesn't have the blue check, it's not me. I'm verified for a reason. So you know that you're, you're dealing with the real guy on Twitter. Same thing. I have the blue check. It's at Robert Liefeld because the squatter got to my name in the early days of Rob of, of tw Twitter before I did. So I'm at Robert Liefeld on Twitter, on Facebook. I'm around on, on, I'm all over social media. Hang out. I love your feedback. Uh, I love hearing what you guys have to say. Thank you for reaching out, for sharing um, your experiences with me and, and telling me how you're enjoying the show. Buy comics. Enjoy comics. Your comic movies are a long, longer away than they were last episode. So read comics, enjoy comics. Above all, stay safe. Okay. Look out for yourselves and we will talk again soon. Thank <laughs> you.